Good morning. It's starting to get chilly. I kind of like that. Have to get some warmer clothes on. Praise the Lord for that. It makes baptisms all the more exciting, too. You know, we're willing to give our lives for the Lord a little cold water. That's nothing, right? Looking forward to that next week. Certainly, if you have questions about baptism, something you've never done, but, but you've given your life to the Lord, I would love to talk to you about that. It's an important step of obedience the Lord has given to those who follow Him, and it's a testimony of what God has done in your life, a picture of being buried with Christ and raised to new life. Well, we're in the book of Matthew this morning, chapter 10, still going through Jesus' uh, teaching to, directed at His 12 disciples, starting in verse 34. Jesus tells His disciples, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Lord, help us to understand your word this morning. Amen. So he starts this section telling his disciples, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I go, wait a second. Christmas time. What do the angels say? Peace on earth, right? It's, no, didn't he come to bring peace? He said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Now look at other, where, uh, other places. In John chapter 14, Jesus is, is getting ready to leave. And, and he's encouraging his disciples who are a little concerned about him leaving and what he's talking about leaving. And he tells them, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Wasn't it peace that he came to bring? And in Colossians, Paul's writing to the church in Colossae, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, right? Ephesians 2, for sure. If you study Ephesians 2, Paul says, Jesus is our peace. And in His body, He's broken down the walls of hostility. So, so through the cross, through Christ, we can have peace with God and peace with each other. All of those things are true. Through Jesus, through what He did on the cross, through His blood, we do have peace with God. It's the only way. And for all those who have now found through Christ peace with God, they have peace with each other of a kind that the world doesn't understand. But Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. What is he talking about? Continuing in verse 35, he says, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Yes, he brought peace, to peace with God, peace with each other. But here we see something we've already seen before earlier. What can disciples of Christ expect from the world? Even their own family members who don't know Christ is opposition, hatred, right? 
He's referencing Micah 7 here. Actually, he's quoting from it. And in Micah, Micah's describing just the, 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 the condition of society within Israel, that God is about to judge, that, that there is that turmoil within families. And that's just uh, the, the breaking down of the society that has turned away from God, right? But here, Jesus is saying, here, here's a picture of what I'm bringing, breaking up of families even, but it's not because of a breaking down of society. It's because people are turning to me. And as they do that, those that are still opposed to Christ will be opposed to those who turn to Christ, even family members, right? We saw back in verse 21 a couple of weeks ago what disciples of Christ can expect. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. That's, when we looked at that, so maybe that's, even, that's looking even future, what we can expect. Tribulation time, towards the end, certainly these are things that have happened, especially in other places in the world where there's greater persecution against Christians, family members turning against other family members. But it's hatred for Christ that brings about the sword in relationships with those who have turned to Christ. Today's Halloween. It's kind of weird to preach on Halloween. I actually I love it. Preaching God's Word into a day where we seem to, as a society within the United States, have this fascination with death. <laughs> Right, and we put it that way, I and mean, we decorate our yards with death. Um, you know, there's just kind of this natural fascination we have anyway. With you know, I forget what movie, not that long ago, I was watching. So good to be bad, right? It, it, there's this feeling of kind of an excitement about pushing the edge, pushing the line, doing that thing that's a little outside the boundaries that might normally be accepted, right? And then we take that into um, Halloween. It's like I've got license to to do all sorts of things, and, and, and put death in my yard, decorate it with tombstones, put these kind of ghost-like figures, and, you know, the, we have a fascination with that. And Halloween is, doesn't score the, the most popular. Christmas was still the most popular with the United States. Uh, for the mo- most part, Thanksgiving has had the number two spot, but apparently among millennials now, Halloween has taken the number two spot. There's a fascination with Halloween that's somehow coming out of the nature of we, we kind of like that. Let, let's invite in these things that are full of death. I mean, it's like we've got the, the, the zombies and the, you know, and then... There's something built into us that when, when, if someone was to say, well, that's wrong, you shouldn't do that, that resents. Who are you to tell me what I can or can't do? We kind of like to push the line, and then when someone says, well, you shouldn't do that, there's an oppos- a natural opposition to it. Well, it's ironic, I think, that tonight... As all of our neighborhoods, you know, we're, we're decorating the front of our houses and our yards as graveyards, as, as scary, evil. you got the, the little eyes glowing in the background. When the sun goes down, it's going to turn into this kind of exciting lights up and everything. That, that we're actually drawing a, a pretty good picture of the way things really are, if you think about it. If I had spiritual eyes to see the world as God sees it, as Ephesians 2 describes it, it's kind of like dead people walking around, right? And, and, and the gore that, that kind of comes, the, the haunted houses with, with just, to make it scary, you got blood and gore and you got scars on top of scars and cut. That is the condition that the world is in. 
spiritually, cut up, dead, bleeding. There, there's scars on top of scars. There's, there's wounds emotionally, spiritually. That is the condition of the world. It, it is a world just gripped in death. And, and as we put into, you know, the decorations, you know, the eyes in the background and, and kind of what is, the, you know, the, the ghosts or spirits, it, the Bible tells us it, it, this is a world that is full of demonic activity. If I could have eyes to see the reality that we're in, Halloween actually pictures it pretty well, right? Spiritually speaking, to see we do live in darkness. And, and you know, the next morning, tomorrow morning, all of those things that are out in, in the yards that look so scary and everything at night, when, when the sun comes up in the morning, it's just going to be all the cardboard and you'll see it for what it is, right? Empty things. And, and that's kind of what happens when Christ, the light of Christ exposes the reality of things, we see it for what it is, and it's, it's a condemning effect, right? And the Bible tells us that darkness hates the light. To say, well, what I'm doing and what I have in my life and as I'm pushing, and then that something's wrong with that, resist that. The darkness hates the light. If you go to a Halloween party and it's all about how with the dark and the black lights and everything and it's exciting and you, you come in and you bring a light, a lamp. People are like, what are you doing? Now I can see the, the cardboard that the wall's made out of and I can, see, I can see everything for what it truly is. Turn the light off. You're messing up our experience. It's exactly what happens, right? When we accept Christ... We become the light of Christ to those around us, right? And darkness hates light. Look in John 15, verse 18, Jesus says, If the world hates you, that's the sword, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world... The world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That is the sword that Jesus is talking about. Yes, he's brought us peace with God. Yes, through Jesus Christ, relationships can be knit like, like the world has never experienced before. There can be peace with each other. It doesn't matter nationality. It doesn't matter uh, rich or poor background. It, it doesn't matter. In Christ, hostility is broken down and there's peace. But you'll find people, even family members, even those closest to you, resenting or even hating what you bring in Jesus Christ. Here's our first point in the notes, if you're following in the notes. Believers have crossed enemy lines. What did Jesus say? If, if they hate you, it's because they hated me first. I've chosen you out of the world. Realize the world is an, is an enemy of God. <laughs> And Jesus has come in His saving work and has chosen us out of that. And now we have crossed enemy lines and we stand with Christ, with the light of Christ. And you can expect, Jesus says, they hated me, now you stand with me. They're going to hate you too. He came to save sinners, to save those who are enemies. who now say, I'm no longer an enemy of God, I'm a friend of God. But they have been pulled out, and in doing that, they have crossed enemy lines. Jesus continues, and, and, and now He's going to describe two different cases 
of disciples who are not worthy of Him. That's an interesting thing to say. Here are those who are not worthy of me. What does he mean by that? Not worthy of Jesus. And, and kind of what's implied that there's going to be disciples that claim to be disciples of Christ. And, and he's going to say, you're not worthy of me. We've seen the word worthy already show up in his teaching to the disciples here. It was, right, it was at the earlier part where, where he was describing Here's what you're going to expect. I'm going to send you out right here and now on this mission. And as you go from house and town, that there's going to be houses and towns that are worthy. Find a house or town that's worthy, and you're going to enter into that house. And what we saw there was that what made them worthy was their receptivity to the disciple, right? Receptivity to the disciple, receptivity to the word, the gospel that the disciple was bringing. And what we're going to get into next week as we finish up chapter 10 in this teaching is this truth that if you receive a disciple of Christ, you're receiving Christ. If you receive Christ, you're receiving the one who sent him. Receptivity of a disciple in his message is receptivity of Christ. Look what John writes about Jesus in chapter 1 of John, verse 12. talking about first his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He made worthy, you could say. But here in Matthew, the disciples don't know yet about the whole going to the cross and believing in Christ for salvation. He's going to be talking about those who are worthy of Him. How do we become worthy? It's right here, to receive Him and to believe in His name. He makes us worthy. So really, we can be looking at this teaching to His disciples, realizing He's distinguishing between true disciples who have truly believed in His name, who have truly received Him, and those who would just say that they have, but are not truly worthy of Him. Salvation is real. It's not just a religious exercise. It's not just saying, okay, I'm a Christian now. Being saved out of the world, out of darkness, and pulled across the enemy lines to a new life is a real thing. And so Jesus is saying, okay, disciples, in light of all of this that I've been telling you about, there's going to be suffering. This is what you can expect. It's going to, there's going to be opposition from your own family members. This is what it is to be a disciple of me. Let me speak and tell you. This is a true disciple. This, and, and, and those who are not true, here are the ones who are not worthy, who have not truly received. You imagine I'm at a Halloween event, all having fun, right? In the sense of the world that we're in, the darkness of this world, and, and we're, we're we love the darkness, we're living in the darkness, we love those who love the darkness. And then someone comes, there's something attractive about them, but there's also something that I don't like about them. There's a light to them, right? And they hand me a gift. They say, you open this, and inside will unfold linens, pure and white. And you put that on. And everything, your past, everything that's shameful in your life that you don't want to have exposed is going to be washed clean and forgiven. You're going to become a new person and you're going to glow a little bit like me. And you hear it and you go, that's the most wonderful thing I've heard in you. And you have this gift, but you don't open it. You don't put on the garment that's inside. Say, so, yes, look at what I have. I've got this wonderful thing. It's Jesus. But you don't open it. You don't actually receive it if you don't open it. You don't believe in it if you don't put it on. 
So Jesus is going to identify those who are holding the gift, but they haven't actually received it. Matthew 10, continuing verse 37. He says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Here's the first one. The Greek word for love there is not the one that we normally encounter. This is phileo. Normally when you see love in the Bible, it's agape. There's, there's, Greek has different words for love. We've got the same word to say I love pizza as I love my wife. And there, it has a different meaning and context. Greek actually has different words to describe what you mean for different kinds of love. Agape love that we see most of the time is, has to do with sacrifice. I can agape love someone I don't like. I can actually agape love someone I hate. It has to do with an action of sacrifice for the benefit of someone else. Phileo love is actually an affection. A really close friend. Someone that you do actually like, that you care for, you have an affection for. That's phileo love. It, it's opposite of hate. You can't phileo love someone you hate. It's, it's the opposite of that. When God sent His Son, Jesus, He agape loved the world, right? He did not phileo love sin. In fact, the world is condemned. The world's deserving of, of punishment. Uh, it's already condemned because of sin. And, and, and so, no, God did not phileo love, but He agape loved those that you could say He hated, His enemies. That's the way Romans 5 described it. While we were still sinners, those who, who were just enveloped in the thing that God hates, He agape loved us, right? He sacrificed himself for those who are the enemies in order to save them out of that. And now having been saved by Christ, there he's, we're brought into the relationship that includes agape love, but also phileo love with Christ. And he's saying, those who are worthy of me, who have truly received the gift of salvation. They will phileo love me more than the closest relations that they have in their life. My father and mother, daughter, son. Here's the first point of being a worthy disciple. A worthy disciple has exceeding affection for Christ. If anyone else holds that position in my heart greater than Christ, I'm not worthy of Him. I haven't truly received and opened the gift that I have in Jesus Christ. But, but if I have, and I have, praise the Lord, when you open this gift and you realize that God loved me, agape loved, when I was still an enemy of His, so that I could be washed clean. And now I've, I've put on the garment of righteousness. It's not a righteousness of my own, but it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ to be made new. And, and I realize who He is, that He is worthy of all praise. He is worthy. Everything we sung about Him is true. And I can't help but love Him more than anything else. And, the, and even though I, I love dearly those around me, if it comes a choice between them and Jesus, Jesus has my heart. He's saying, that's a true disciple. They have received the gift. They have put on salvation. And they know me. And I know them. And they love me. Phileo love me. They can't help it. 
I think a few, a few weeks ago, we talked about the, the, the mother in, in Laos who accepted Christ as her Savior and her adult children then were disowning her, re- rejecting her. And, and her response to that to say, uh, I will never stop loving you, but I am going to continue to follow Christ and love Him. Her heart, her desire was for Christ first. He continues in verse 38. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Here's the second one. He doesn't take his cross, doesn't take up his cross. And other gospels who does not deny himself and take up his cross. What is he talking about? What does it mean to take up your cross, to take your cross. I've seen this applied wrongly. And so I'm going to start with what it isn't. <laughs> Taking up my cross is not being a self-made martyr, living in pity, inviting in anything to say, oh, look at how bad my burden is. Everyone look, everyone see my burden, see my cross. And, and to be that person who just is always saying, look, look at it, because what's un- the undercurrent of that is pride of, look at how great my burden is. That's not what he's saying to do. All right, at daily, take up your cross and let everybody see how heavy your burdens are and invite anything in. No, that's not what taking it, looking for burdens to bear. That's not it. Also, what it's not is bearing the consequence of your sin. Seems like that might be a right. It's not. And, I, and I've seen that and, and actually condemning. It's like, boy, that person really needs to take responsibility for the consequences of their sin. They need to bear their cross. That's a misapplication of it. And in a sense, it's, it's, it's really bad because the one cross of Jesus Christ is where my sins have been born, right? That's my sins have been nailed to His cross. I no longer have to bear sin. But him, it is well with my soul. He has borne my sin, all of my sin. That's the truth, the reality that we live in. So no, bearing a cross is not, yet. Yeah, I'm going to have to deal with consequences of sin, no doubt, in my life. Things that I've done, there will be consequences of that, but, but I am not bearing that in bearing my cross. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Those things still, there's a motivation of pride that I could even bear my sin. The whole point of putting my faith in Christ of receiving this gift is the truth that I cannot bear my sin. He has borne it for me. That is not what he's talking about. So what is he talking about? In everything Jesus has called us to do, he has been the perfect example already. Let's look in, in Luke chapter 22. Jesus regularly would go up to the Mount of Olives with His disciples. This time, going up to the Mount of Olives, he knew this was when he was going to be betrayed, right? He knew what was ahead of him immediately. The cross was right there. Leaving his disciples just like a stone's throw away, verse 41 He withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, 
Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Long before Jesus had a physical cross laid across his shoulder, he took up his cross. That's what's happening right here. Not my will, but yours be done. What's the Father's response? And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Three times. If this cup, what is the cup? When we take communion, what's the cup represent? That's suffering. That's the cup that, of Jesus' suffering that he took. It's the cup of the new covenant that came from his suffering, right? If there's any way that I don't have to take this, to go to the cross, but not my will, your will be done. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, it's possible the way, you know, like drops of blood, it could just have been imagery of the suffering of that moment, but there actually is a, metal, a known medical condition. It's called blood sweating. Um, I looked it up. Hematohydrosis. Rook's textbook of dermatology says a condition in which capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood. It occurs under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. There's been times where I have prayed, God, is there another way? Right? But never have I been under such stress, emotional, physical stress, to have that condition. Never has anyone experienced what Christ was experiencing in that moment as he considered the cross. To take on himself the guilt and shame of the world. And then even as he's being nailed to the cross, it's not just a Roman uh, form of torture and humility, but it, it is... The, the punishment of the Father, His Father that loves Him, that He loves upon Him, upon the sin of the world that is upon Him. When we take up our cross, we are saying, not my will, but yours be done. Here's the second thing about a worthy disciple. A worthy disciple not only has exceeding affection for Christ, but lays down his own will for Christ. Denying self. That's what this is about. That's what we're to do daily. But we can get so hyper-focused on what we want, right? This is, this is, this is what I want. It doesn't matter what area of life. It, it can be a specific sin. It could be a temptation. It's like, no, I got to have that. I got to have that. And, and, and it's, or it could just be anything. I, you know, I got to have the latest iPhone. I, I need to have this job situation. I need, to have, I need to have this career. I need to have whatever it is in our life. We can get so hyper-focused on what we have to have. And in American culture, if there's the possibility of me attaining something, to deny myself that thing goes against, that goes against American culture. Why would I deny myself? No, I can have that. It, it, I'm, I'm going to have that. But to take up my cross is to say, first and foremost, what is your will, God, in my life? And even that thing that's right there within reach, if that's not what you have for me, to deny myself that. Do you struggle with an addiction? Lots of different forms of addiction. 
Sometimes it's helpful to realize that what I need to actually do in that moment is deny myself, and, that the, and it's to the glory of God and the honor of Christ when I do that. Because, because all we're looking for is I need to be filled by something, and ultimately you're going to be filled rightly by Christ Himself. But realize that in that process, you will be denying yourself something. A worthy disciple lays down his own will for Christ. See, what Jesus is saying is that person who, yes, I've got the gift. I, I've seen it. I've seen the truth about, about who Jesus is. He's God, and, and, and through Him is salvation, and, and they're holding on to this gift. But they've never received it. They've never put it on. And so when it comes to, to that crossroads of here's what God wants me to do, and here's, it's like, nah, it'll be okay. I'm going to do what I want to do. That, that's, that, I'm, I'm always going to choose what I want to do. It, it'll work out. God's grace. See, I have it in here. This is God's grace in my life. Everything will be fine. I'm just going to do what, what I want to do, my will. Jesus says, no, that person's not worthy of me. But the person who has opened the gift, who has put on the new life, and their eyes have seen the glory of the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. And to realize that even if that means bearing suffering, even if that means uh, a course in my life that is not going to have the glory of, of recognition from other people, or, or whatever that might mean, that there is joy on the other side of that. Jesus bore the cross. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And, and as I have come to know Jesus, and I've come to know that his ways are good, and his ways are, are paths of righteousness, and there's peace in, in, in relationship with God when I follow his ways, I want his ways more in my life. Sure, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do stupid things, and I'm going to take my own path here and there, but that's not really what I want. I want his will. Sometimes there's a, there's a struggle of time of laying down my will because I feel like that if I just keep going down this path, I am going to be sweating blood, that it is going to hurt, and, and, I, and I won't be able to do it. But then having gone through those moments, you say, your way... And Jesus' example, where God sent ministering angels, God sends ministering people with His Spirit in them to encourage and, and to help. He never leaves people. You can do exactly what Jesus said and, and, and say, no, not my will, but yours. Does any way take this away, but not my will, your will, and watch and see how God brings encouragers into your life, who brings his people around you to say, here, keep the course. Let me strengthen you and help you. And then to see the life that comes as a result. That's what we've seen. Every person who's open this is, no, there's... It's worth it. I'm clothed in His righteousness. His ways are good ways and the right ways. That's what I want. And we'll go through that struggle to say, but everything in me so much wants something else. But I know His ways are better. And so, not my will, but yours be done, Father. Jesus sums it all up in verse 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Sure, I've got this gift in my hand. But in the darkness of what is this world, that's where I'm finding my life. I've got it made. Boy, it feels so good. 
just to do things my way. It feels so good. I, you know, I've got a promising career. I've, I've got I've, whatever it is, the, the marks of success I have achieved. I've found my life. Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, to say, I accept you, Lord Jesus. I'm going to open your gift of eternal life and put it on. And even if that means losing my physical life in order to follow you, if that path is what you have me to follow, your will, not mine, that person will find true life, eternal life, the best life in relationship and the joy of fellowship with God himself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, these are hard things. Lord, I'd, I'd, these are important things to teach Jesus because you taught so clearly and openly what your disciples should expect. You didn't hide anything from them. You didn't hide anything from us. You said, here's what it's going to cost. But Christ, in that cost, it is offset by the greatest treasure that makes that cost as nothing. And I would agree with Paul, Lord Jesus, that I count the sufferings of this life, anything that I might endure as one who has put on the righteousness of Christ, as nothing compared to the glory that's in our future. So Christ, I just pray for your emboldened confidence and faith among us that we would trust you above everything else, God, that we would follow you first. Whether that's in our job, in our life, whatever part of our life that we're looking at crossroads, looking at a decision, you're putting something on our heart by your Holy Spirit, convicting us of something, God, that we would choose what it is that we know in our heart is most pleasing to you and say, not our will, but yours be done. And that might mean denying myself something, God. I know there's plenty of times, Lord, that I just want to indulge in the things I know are not pleasing to you. And yet, God, it is a blessing to know that when I deny myself those things, there's life, life abundant in you. There is no loss when I deny myself things that are not of you. There's only gain because I gain the righteousness and the glory and the life, the abundant life that you give so freely. Help us to see that, to know that, to trust that in whatever's ahead. Love you, Lord Jesus. Agape love you. Phileo love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes. 
in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. song we could ever sing worthy of all the praise we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you Jesus the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever save. You're worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. upon your love it is a firm foundation and i will put my trust in you alone and i will not be shaken i will
You know, maybe you feel like you've held the gift and never really put it on. And I want to encourage you, the best possible thing for you is to realize that's the case. The worst possible thing for me as a pastor to do would be allow you to think, I'm good. I'm holding on to the gift. But you've never really said, no, I want to build my life on you alone, Jesus Christ. You've never said, yes, I believe in your name such that I am going to trust you over everything else, Lord Jesus. I want you to come and be Lord of my life. If you've never done that, Jesus is right there. It's a gift. In one sense, it's absolutely free. You can't earn righteousness. In another sense, it costs you your life. Because <laughs> to put on a new life means burying the old one with Christ. What's keeping you if you haven't done that? I encourage you. Trust Christ. Put your faith in Christ. If you have questions about that, if you've never known that there was even a gift, that you haven't even known what Jesus is about, he, you, who's that Jesus guy? Who's that man named Jesus? And we've been talking about, oh, he's God. Oh, he's brought salvation. He is worth giving our very lives for. I would love to talk to you about that why I'm here, <laughs> why we're all here. What's keeping you? Don't wait another day. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of salvation, that even while we were sinners, even while we were enemies, you sacrificed your life in order to save us, your love for us so that we could be brought into the perfect relationship that you already have with the Father. We can have that kind of relationship with you. Thank you, Lord, for the life that we have even now, even as, as it means that we, we're going to be hated by the world because the world hated you, that it's still life abundant. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the hope that we have because we look forward to a future with you where there won't be any more pain, there won't be any more suffering. Eternal life in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus. I'm looking forward to that day. Thank you, Lord, for your love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I love you, church. Go in the Lord.